I would ask you at this time to turn your attention to the book of James as we continue our sermon series together. Is our sermon series entitled Putting Feet to Our Faith as we're now finally in chapter 2 of the book of James. We, we walked through chapter 1 and it took us several weeks to kind of walk through it, but I think we're going at a good pace because we're taking time to savor God's Word and hear what God has to tell us through His servant James. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who experienced so many things in his life. At the end of his life, of course, a, a leader in the Jerusalem church and Again, I've said this before, if you're just joining us for the first time, I feel like it bears repeating more and more and more. James, I believe, is the most practical book of Christian faith in the New Testament. In fact, I was home and talking with my father during our vacation, and my father, who's who's not new to Christianity, but is certainly new to the Bible, uh, he said to me, Bo, there's still so much I don't understand about Scripture, but there's nothing about the book of James that I don't understand. It's plain and it's simple, but as always, it's not easy. And so as we walk through chapter, or we get to chapter 2 here, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7 this morning, and the title of my message is A Faith That Plays No Favorites, A Faith That Plays No Favorites. So I want to start with something to think about. Here's what I want you to think about as we prepare our hearts and our minds for this message. Have you ever been a victim or a beneficiary of favoritism in your life? Okay. Have you ever been a victim or a beneficiary of favoritism? in your life. I believe that I've been on both sides of that fence, and most of you have probably been on both sides of that fence, and I'm going to give you examples, okay? So first of all, a victim of favoritism, okay? Were you ever overlooked for a job that you were qualified for? Were you ever denied the starting position on a sports team that you thought you earned? Were you ever forced to stand up at an event because open seats were reserved for others? Were you ever given a harsher speeding ticket from an officer because your tags were from another county? Or were you ever disciplined more harshly by your parents than other siblings simply because of who you are? Most of us have probably experienced something like that in our lives. Well, look at the flip side, okay? We hate it when that happens, but all of a sudden, when you look on the other side of the coin, when have you been a beneficiary of favoritism? When have you been offered a job that maybe you weren't qualified for because you knew somebody? When were you giving the starting position on a sports team that you were not ready for or that you didn't earn? When were you offered a reserve seat while others are still standing? When have you gotten out of a speeding ticket despite a clear violation because of the county that your tag has? When have you avoided punishment from your parents because even though they don't say so, you might just be their favorite? See, when we're on the other side of favoritism, we don't hate it so much. In fact, when it's against us, we want to blow the whistle. That's not fair. Life's not fair. But yet, when you get to the point where you're the beneficiary of favoritism, we start saying things like, well, it's a dog-eat-dog world. It's survival of the fittest. It's not what you know, it's who you know. If it didn't work out for you, I'm sorry. And yet, this is the world we live in. Let's be honest. Let's be realistic. In 2017 in Candler County, Georgia, favoritism is reality. And it's it's not specifically to this county or even this part of the country. It's a part of our world. We are wired to play favorites, and yet, when we encounter God's Word and we consider God's kingdom, we see Jesus Christ levels the playing field, and He says to us, there's no favorites in my house. There's ground, the the level, I was going to say the ground at the foot of the cross is always, is now, and will always be level because of who Jesus is and who we are. 
So what's the big idea? How can I in one sentence capture what I want us to think about as we open up God's Word? Here's what I want to say. Here's what I want us to think as we open to James chapter 2. Christianity is a faith that plays no favorites because we are all sinners in need of God's grace. That's a big word in capital letters, grace. We're all in need of it, and because of it, there's just no room for favorites in the Christian life. And James gives us a very strong admonition about this in chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, again, turn with me to James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, it's on page 1200 exactly in your pew Bible in front of you. And if you would stand at this time out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, and we are in James chapter 2. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord starting in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you that you are a God who does not play favorites. And yet we live in a world that does. And so when we encounter your word and we step into your kingdom, Father, we know that you want to change the way we think and how we approach situations in the church because the church is in contrast to the world. You've called us to be in the world, but not of it. Help us today to understand these differences. Help us to understand, Father, where we have been a victim or a beneficiary or a practitioner of favoritism and help us to understand what it is that James exhorts us to do and to think about in this passage when it comes to playing favorites in your kingdom. Father, be with us now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint these words, open up our hearts and minds to receive this truth, that we could respond to it in repentance and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, Amen. Amen. The word that is used in this passage is partiality. However, I've chosen to really tackle the word favoritism. All right, some of you who have the NIV, I think it uses the word favoritism. And some other translations use that word as well. I think favoritism is something that I want to use today because I think it's a term that we better understand because it's something that we all face in this world. So let me start right from the top before we walk through these passages. And let me talk about what favoritism is. The ancient Greeks had a, had a phrase that talked about favoritism. They said, favoritism is receiving something according to your face. It basically means according to who you are or how you are perceived, you're receiving what it is that you have. You are, you are actually receiving a term of favoritism because of your face, because of it is who you are and your identity in, in whatever situation that you're receiving that favoritism. And author Kent Hughes says this about why we should be careful about playing favorites. He says, favoritism is an indication of a heart that at best is in need of spiritual help and at worst is a heart without grace. That word, I think, is going to come up several times in our time together this morning. When we understand grace, 
that it's something that we did not earn and it's something that we could not work for. It's something that had to be given as a gift. It has to be received as a gift. Then all of a sudden, we're not higher or lower than anybody else in the church. And when that happens, there's no room for favorites. There's no room for favorites in the Christian life. So let us walk through the passage here together. And the first of the three things that I'd like to see us look at when it comes to favoritism is, number one, let's look at favoritism denounced. All right, verse one says this, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, what I see here at the very beginning of verse one is this idea of letting go and holding on. In one sense, when we let go of something, we're holding on to something else. And what what James says in this passage is, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, if you hold on to favoritism with one hand, you cannot hold on to Jesus Christ with the other. You have to let go of one to receive the other. And why is that the case? Well, the end of the verse 1 says this, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Here's what that means. Jesus sets the rules. The Lord of glory means he's Lord of all. He decides what is right and what's wrong in his kingdom, and he denounces favoritism. So when you follow the one who doesn't play favorites, there's no room for you in your life to play favorites. It's absolutely level playing field because Jesus stands above all, and he he rules over all. He's the firstborn over all creation, as we read in Vacation Bible School in Colossians 1. He stands above us. And he sets the tone. And so when we hold on to a faith that means we follow him, we let go of the things that he does not stand for. And he does not stand for favoritism. In fact, he stands against it. So right out the chute in verse 1 of chapter 2, James is denouncing favoritism. He says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Can I tell you, it's easier said than done. All right, Sunday morning, especially in a small town where most of us know each other, we know each other's families, we know each other's backgrounds, and people walk through the doors, you have these natural thoughts that come into your mind about certain people. And as those thoughts come in, we have to acknowledge when they're sinful and say, Lord, I don't want to think or feel this way, but I do, and I confess it to you. And and in that respect, we all have something to confess during our time of confession here in the worship service, because we all have thoughts of people who walk through the doors, What are the things that we're thinking about? What are the things that we're making a fuss over? Well, sometimes it's gender-based. It's socioeconomically based. Sometimes it's uh, vocationally based. For whatever reason, in our minds, there are certain people that we hold higher than we hold others. And we forget that in the eyes of God, that's not necessarily the case because we forget the grace that we needed to come to salvation as well. You know, I I think about this all the time as a pastor. If someone's coming to visit Cedar Street Baptist Church, do they feel as welcome as someone who's been here 30 years as a patriarch or a matriarch of this church? My hope and my prayer would be, yes, that they do feel welcome, that we don't play favorites. But you know what? Every church, to some degree, has got to be careful because all of us struggle with this in some area. It's just natural and normal to exalt the people who are successful, to exalt the people who are committed, to exalt the people who you've walked through life with, and then to lower the standards for someone who you don't know, to lower your expectations for someone who walks through the door that is not wearing the same clothes you're wearing, or maybe doesn't smell the way that you smell, or maybe doesn't have the job that you have, or maybe doesn't even live in the same neighborhood that you live in. 
it's hard for us. We have to retrain our brains. When we become believers in Jesus Christ and we walk into this church, we have to remind ourselves we are not of the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. We've got to stand beside it and say, when it comes to the Christian faith, when it comes to this church, when it comes to being in the kingdom of God, the ground, the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We all come to Jesus the same way through repentance and faith. And James denounces favoritism right out of the chute. All right, so number one, favoritism is denounced. But as we walk through verses two through four, number two, I want us to see how favoritism is defined. All right, again, we need to define our terms, and he does a, a tremendous job of this in verses two through four. Hear God's word. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Doesn't it sound like that, this phrase right here could happen in South Georgia in 2017 as you're reading this? And you know why? Again, it's not unique to this part of the country. It's not unique to this church, this county, this community. This has been happening in the church since the very beginning, since Pentecost. And before that, it was also happening in the synagogues for those of the Jewish faith. Favoritism is something that the world is built on. And when when Jesus Christ comes down and he builds a new kingdom, he's saying, you've got to rewire the way you think. Now, let me say this as we walk through this passage there are distinctions that we make in the church that are good, and then there are distinctions that we make in the church that are not good. Not every distinction is bad. Here's what I mean. A good distinction is when we stand up in God's house and declare what our convictions are according to the Word of God. All right, so our conviction on the authority of the Bible. When I interviewed for this position, I made it known right out of the chute. I said, I believe that this Bible is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. There's, that means there are no errors in it, and it is not capable of being an error because it comes straight from the mouth of God. That is the conviction I have on Scripture, and I make that distinction because anyone who comes into the fold here as a member has to understand that's how I'm going to do ministry at this church. This is my foundation. And so people who don't want to live according to this foundation, a distinction is made that this is not the place for you to do ministry because we're going to do it according to this book. So that's not a bad distinction. All right? Also, other distinctions that we make as Southern Baptists, we are passionate and dedicated to evangelism and to missions and the goal of gathering together weekly to worship our triune God. These are things that we're committed to, and we make those distinctions. And I don't think that's a bad thing. All right? There are people who often say, well, denominations are just evil. They're just evil. In the kingdom of God, there's no denominations. Why do we divide ourselves up on this side of heaven? Well, here's what I want to say. Yes, in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no denominations. But I've come to understand that I don't believe denominations are an evil thing, and here's why. Because we do have to have some distinction that we can worship according to our own convictions and not be forced to worship according to convictions that we don't hold. It would be, it would be excruciating for me to have to preach every week against what I believe because I was forced into one set of beliefs. So I wanted to say this to make it clear that not every distinction that we make in the church is bad. But let me, let me shift gears from the good distinctions, all right, the convictions that we have according to the Word of God. Now let me talk about the bad distinctions. This is what James is talking about in chapter 2. All right, when we discriminate and we offer exclusive blessings to someone based on their wealth, based on their education, 
based on their family history or based on their ethnicity. Any distinction we make based on those things is pure sin and it has no place in God's house. None. And it's easy for us to do. You know, I I, I really believe this with all of my heart. 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is typically the hour of worship for evangelical Christians all over this country. And the saddest thing is, the 11 o'clock hour on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the entire week. Why is that? Because there are still people in this country who are playing favorites. There are people they want to be around. There are people that they don't want to be around. And they think that God holds the same convictions that they do. Where God says, listen, I don't care how much money you make. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care what job you have. I don't care what you do. I don't care where you're from. Level field at the foot of the cross. There's no favorites in this church because God is the one on the throne and we're all recipients of his grace. That's favoritism defined. And James lays it out. He says, if somebody walks in wearing a gold ring or fine clothing and comes into the assembly and a poor man comes in shabby and and maybe he's not smelling the right way and you're telling, you go sit here and you go sit there, right from the very beginning you're making distinctions that God doesn't make. And it's easy to do, but it's it's sin. And it's something that we need to confess. And it's something that we need to be aware of. Because when we do that, what we're doing is this. We are taking our own judgment and we're placing it above the judgment of Christ. Because as I read in verse 1, Jesus is the Lord of all glory. And if he doesn't play favorites, and we do, we are saying our judgment is more important than his. And I do not want to stand on his throne. I'm not worthy to be anywhere near it. I'll give you an illustration that really hits home for me. So as most of you know, anybody who's attended here knows my background is in sports casting, and I spent several years in minor league baseball. My first year in minor league baseball in 2004, I was director of broadcasting and media relations for the Daytona Cubs of the Florida State League, and I had an awesome opportunity to meet my childhood hero. I'm not even going to say his name because it's not my desire to bash somebody behind this pulpit, but let me just say this. He is in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And he's one of the top 50 players in the history of baseball. If I said his name, anyone who's ever watched baseball would know exactly who I'm talking about. This player retired and then came back as a manager. So he was a minor league manager. And here's what happened. I got so excited that he was coming. I bought a box of baseballs. I was going to ask for his autograph. I walked into the coach's office so that I could get the starting lineups, so that I could type them out and give them to all the media members that were there. And I walk in kind of trembling. This is my childhood hero. And all of a sudden, he gave me a two-and-a-half-minute tongue lashing that the facilities were not up to par with what he deserved. And he used those words, do you know who I am? And all of those, ro- the, those rosy pictures I had of him as a child were just washed away in a moment. All my childhood memories of collecting his baseball cards and watching his games and my dad talking about how he was the greatest third baseman in the history of baseball, I, I just all of a sudden, my heart was just completely crushed. He just looked at me and he said, do you know who I am? You know what he was complaining about? I mean, I'm embarrassed to say this. The quality of toilet paper we had in the bathroom. Stupid, right? But because he was a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, he didn't like the rough stuff. He wanted, he wanted two-ply or four-ply. I don't know how many ply he wanted. All right? But it was embarrassing. It was frustrating. He was playing favorites. He said, when I walk into this building... I want special treatment because I'm a special person. And that's how our world operates, but not the church. 
I have to remind myself of this all the time as well. Because I am the pastor and God has called me to a very important responsibility. But the day that I ever think that I'm any more important or valuable in the kingdom of God than anybody in this church is the day that I need to be removed from this pulpit. God does not play favorites. We have different roles, different responsibility. All right? There, there's roles of authority and there's roles of submission. All right? Much like in a marriage, much like in the Trinity with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Jesus submits to the Father as the Spirit submits to Jesus and the Father, but they're all equally important within the Trinity. Much like the church, there's roles of authority, there's roles of submission, but at the same time, none more important than the other. God does not play favorites. God does not play favorites. This is something that as you walk through the book of Acts, you will see as the church is being established, those who came from the Jewish faith began to really understand the universal call for for everyone to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, how God was not playing favorites but making this call to the whole world. In fact, this is something that Peter, Simon Peter, came to realize. If, If you remember that story in the book of Acts in chapter 10, he has this vision of all these animals And God's speaking to him and saying, go and take and eat. And he's saying, I can't eat of these animals because they're unclean. And then all of a sudden God says, if I say they're clean, then they're clean. And how does Peter respond? Well, in this passage in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 35, in the essence of time, just just listen and let the words sink in. He says, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation among who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. All right, so he does make the distinction. We have to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to be covered in His blood and to be adopted into His family, but at the same time, He's not playing favorites. He's made the offer to everyone, whosoever would believe in Him, come and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because He is a God that does not play favorites. So now we have seen favoritism denounced. We have seen favoritism denied or defined. Now let's go to third and finally, let's look at favoritism debunked. All right, verses 5 through 7. Say this, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But have you dishonored the poor man? Are you not the rich, the ones, or are not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? All of a sudden, right here, we see, this, we see this glimpse of what happens throughout the entire New Testament. Over and over and over again, we see how God loves the poor. Not, not, not just the poor economically, but certainly the poor in spirit. And he goes after the poor, and he goes after the helpless. And that's his desire, because we see in the Christian life, the way up is down. All right, We see this no more than in the Beatitudes, in the, on the Sermon on the Mount. In the book of Matthew, as we walk through and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And he levels the field because the whole world doesn't look at it that way. The world looks at a rich person and says, They are successful. They are talented. They should get all the breaks. To which he says, No, it's the one who's broken enough to know that they need my grace. I've not partaken of a prison ministry. I've prayed about an opportunity where God may allow me to do that in the future, but that is just an awesome opportunity to see how it is that God plays no favorites. Do you know when people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in prison, it's so beautiful to see because they don't have to be told that they've messed up. They wake up every day and they hear the sound of the jail bars 
clinging together and they know they just haven't done something quite right. It's those who are the most successful, typically those who are the most wealthy, those who have the most acclaim, those who are the most exalted in the community that have the toughest time coming to Jesus on their knees. And there's only one way to come to him, and that's on the knees. And, and James looks at this and completely debunks the idea of favoritism when he talks about how when the poor in the world are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Again, the way up is down. I'll give you two passages real quickly to illustrate this. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29 say this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God took what is weak and made it strong, what is poor and made it rich, what is dishonorable and made it honorable, so that in that we don't trust in ourselves, but we trust in Him. When we play favorites, we're not trusting in God, we're trusting in the gifts that God has given to somebody else. There's no room for it in the kingdom. And, and, and I'll, I'll, this last passage I'll read, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. This, this really points to Papa Larry's message on Sunday night about the shepherd in, in uh, Psalm 23. Most of you have heard this. The Apostle Paul says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. So how do I sum all this up as we draw to a close? As I consider a summary statement that would help us put a, you know, just put a a bow on the end of this, no pun intended, but a bow on the end of this gift that we've been unwrapping for the past 45 minutes. Let me just say this. Our faith ultimately plays no favorites because God expressed his love for the world when he sent his son to the cross. All right? That's the most famous passage in all of Scripture. It's famous for a reason because it encapsulates the whole gospel in one sentence. John 3.16 does not say, for God so loved his favorites. It says, for God so loved the world. The world. It was his original plan. If you read the Old Testament, you may think for a moment that God's playing favorites. People reject the Christian faith because when they start reading the Old Testament, they see how God had a chosen nation. And they say, well, God plays favorites. That's not the God that I know. But if you read the New Testament, it helps the Old Testament make sense. God was never playing favorites when he called out the nation of Israel. Here's what God was doing. He was calling a special and holy nation, setting aside this nation unto himself so that the rest of the world would know God because of this nation and that he could bring his son, the Messiah, through this nation so that through Israel, the rest of the world could taste and experience salvation. God was not playing favorites when he called out the nation of Israel. God was calling them out so that he could save the rest of the world through them. If you read just the Old Testament, you'll miss it. But that's why we have two Testaments. The Old Testament is promises made, and the New Testament is promises kept. And we need to read the whole story to understand that God doesn't play favorites. This offer is something that he made to the whole world. So what's our takeaway? I just want to say this one last thing and we'll pray. 
Our takeaway for today is this. Meditate daily on the reality that we are all beggars who need the grace of God. The Christian life has often been talked about as one beggar who's been fed offering another beggar that same food. If we are at the place in our life where we play favorites and we're not, all, we're not willing to share the gospel with, any, with just anybody, then we've come to the place where we forget that we're beggars. We come to the place where we forget who we are in the eyes of God. We're gonna, as we walk through James, we're going to see in a, in a few more verses a couple weeks from now, we're going to see how one sin, no matter how grave the sin is, declares us guilty and we would not be allowed to be in the kingdom of God. I don't care how great your job was. I don't care how many children you adopted. I don't care how much money you gave to charity. I don't care how many prayers you prayed, how many times you read through the whole Bible, what committees you served on, how many years you were a deacon. None of that matters when you stand at the foot of the cross at the day of judgment. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is you've either placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who was perfect or you're standing there wanting God to judge you on your own account, which is not perfect. All right? It's a pass-fail grade at the day of judgment. And yes, there will be certain rewards handed out for those who've been faithful. But to cross the bridge into the eternal kingdom of heaven... It is a pass-fail grade, and it's based not on what you did, but in your faith and who did what f- did for you, which you could not do for yourselves. That's the Christian faith. I place my faith in Jesus because he's perfect and I'm not, and because, G- because God demands perfection and I can't offer it. But God loved me so much, he loved you so much, he loved us so much, that he sent his son to live perfectly the way we should have lived, to die sacrificially the death that we deserved, And to rise from the dead three days later, making a way from death to life, that whoever would place their faith in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Because when you stand before God, if you're a Christian, God's going to look at you and say, perfect. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. And if none of us can be perfect apart from Jesus, we need grace and we need to offer grace. And we simply cannot play favorites. Let us leave this church today with the understanding that we're all beggars who've been fed the bread of life. And let me say this as I pray. If you've never tasted the bread of life, if you've never experienced what it is to be saved, if you don't know for sure that your life belongs to the one who did for you what you could not do for yourself, I pray as we have a time of invitation that you would come forward and Open your heart to the Lord. You can pray privately here at the altar. If you want me to pray with you, I'd be honored to do that. But do business with the Lord today. He's speaking to you right now. And he's saying, there's no room for favorites in my kingdom. I love you as much as I love anyone else in this room. Will you give your life to my son? Let us pray together. Father, again, I beg you to have mercy on us as a church and as a world that continues to play favorites for we know in your in your church and in your kingdom there's just no room for it father whether whether we've been a victim or a beneficiary of favoritism i just pray that you'd forgive us and that you'd help us help us to love what we consider the unlovable because without the blood of jesus all of us are unlovable we've sinned and fallen short of your glory we have violated your holiness we need your grace Forgive us, Father. And for anyone in this room, Father, who doesn't know your Son, open up their heart and their mind to see that they don't need to get cleaned up and then come to the cross. They come as they are because you're not playing favorites. You'll give them the same grace that you've given all of us who've placed our faith in your Son. 
Help us now, Father. Help us to truly be people of your kingdom who play no favorites, that come as beggars to your son. In Jesus' name we pray.